It's Monday, and that means conversations with Bob and Sherry. This is our second episode. Uh, hi, Sherry. Hi, Bob. <laughs> happy Monday. So what, happy Monday. What did you want to talk about today, Sherry? Well, um, just a couple really quick headlines. I know Mr. Doug Mastriano has formally conceded the governor's race, and he has issued a yep. statement yesterday on Twitter. Um, it, I thought it was so grateful. The statement was very nice, and he asked everyone to give Mr. Josh Shapiro the opportunity to govern us. Um, mm -hmm. I thought it was really good. So he conceded, and um, he he basically asked everybody to move on and be. And and it's a very uniting statement. So I thought that was very nice. Did you read that statement? I did. Yeah, I, I thought it was good as well. Yeah, very good. Um, the second um, thing headline. Um, apparently, the uh, Philadelphia are going to expecting the very first migrant bus. I believe is sent from Texas, but the mayor has no idea when, where, and they don't even have the facility to handle it. Um, so, Governor Wolf has uh, declared Pennsylvania is a sanctuary state. So, most mm -hmm. likely under the governorship of Josh Shapiro, we probably can expect. Pennsylvania will stay a um, century state. So the first bus going to Philadelphia, we live in the suburb of Pittsburgh. So we'll we'll see how that's going to be all panned out. So that, that was just a couple of things. It's kind of funny. One of the complaints when Abbott and DeSantis sent migrants unannounced, one of the major complaints was we weren't prepared. This isn't right. They have to coordinate. And now you're telling me that... Uh, the state doesn't know when they're coming, so there is no coordination, Democrat to Democrat? There, there is no coordination, no. Okay. <laughs> That's just my understanding. So. All right. So just I wanted to talk about the midterms a little bit. Um, you know, we're the, I think it's, you know, we're still seeing states that haven't fully settled. I don't know if this morning the PA House has been settled. Last I heard, there were two outstanding races, both Republican incumbent, but they were too close to call. And if they flip, then Democrats take control of the Pennsylvania State House. Um, and, and, you know, in Arizona, I don't know how many days it's been. <laughs> um, but the problem, you know, I'm already hearing the rumblings of the cheating and, and election fraud and, and things like that. And I mean, I personally think that's to be expected when you have an election and the results are there. And then every day they just it's like the recounts keep going and going until, you know, the Democrats win. So the perception, I think, is a, a real problem. And I think it would be a problem if it were reversed, if it were the republic. If, if you switch parties, I'm certain the Democrats and the media and everything would have a big problem with it. Yeah, it's interesting because I, how, how many years that America has elections? I mean, 200 years. It, yeah. Everyone always knew the election results for many, many years. We know the election result the night of um, and the pandemic changed it. But uh, one of the things people say, if if President Biden has announced the pandemic is over, I believe was last year or beginning of this year. I don't know, remember it said. 
He did. It wasn't a. It was an off. It was to a question or or a side statement. It wasn't a speech, but yeah, he said it was over. It's over. So, but we're still voting like we're in the pandemic. And it doesn't matter which party you're in. When you create a new system like these mail-in ballots, there it's a complicated system. It involves millions of votes and things. There are going to be problems. So you know, even if you both parties coordinated perfectly together to develop the best system possible. There's a need to go back and review it and make improvements on it. And so I, th I think there's a lot of need for improvement if we're going to continue with the mail-in ballots, but I just don't see that happening. I don't see the two, the Democrats wanting to make any changes. And, you know, so I don't know. I, I think the same thing. Um, you know, for example, in Nevada, I believe the Mr. Laxo was winning and then now he's not. So when you count vote, you know, days and days on, it was almost, the perception almost feels like they count until the candidate they want wins. Right. And I, I felt like the Republican voters has not caught on to that. They're not harvesting ballot. They're not doing, the, the Democrat are using the system and playing the game the right way. I think once right. a Republican catches on, start winning elections, you're probably going to hear the other side going to cry foul just the same way, <laughs> maybe louder. I, I mean, among my friends, I'm already seeing the articles and the, the um, you know, claims of election fraud and cheating. And my thought on that is this. It doesn't matter what really happened. And bear with me a minute. Doesn't matter what you see. It doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what really happened. What matters is what you can convince the other people, what you can convince the American voters. And if you take something to court, the only thing that matters is what you can convince the court. And you know, we see all the time in movies, you know, that you know who did the crime, but you don't have evidence. You need evidence. And, you know, we need to accept that, um, you know, the more... I think Republicans scream about this, Republican voters, the more they play into the media narrative about, you know, far right, undermining democracy. And, you know, the media is just playing it. Um, we've got the party divided. There's, you know, the never Trumpers. You have the um, Republican, what do they call it in, in um, D.C.? Republican Reform Project or something. They donated money to Shapiro. And they stand for opposing any candidates to say anything about election fraud. So it's not just Democrats in the media. Even within the Republican, Republican Party, there are a lot of people and voices that are actively trying to, you know, make this whole thing go away. They're trying to, you know, brand all the Republicans as conspiracy theorists. Well, I think yeah. the Republican has a real problem with the top of the leadership, which is Mitch McConnell, right? Yeah. The Democrat side has Nancy Pelosi and the Republican side have Mitch McConnell. They are both 100 years old. They've been there forever. They're too um, deeply rooted in the, in the political, you can call it corruption, whatever the heck it is. But I think mm -hmm. it's, it's unfortunate because they lost in touch with everyday people, how they originally get elected for. Um, they're in D.C. now for their constituents, but representing some big interests. I think that's on both sides. Um, 
Yeah, and you know, one interesting thing I was observing. So I have a lot of Democrat friends, Independent friends, and Republican friends, of course. In 2016, in 2020, in 2016 and 2020, when the election happened, Donald Trump was announced president. It seems like there's a lot of emotion on both sides. And 2020, when Donald Trump lost the election, there's a lot of emotion on both sides. You know, extreme happiness on the Democrat side. These are not party people. These are just regular everyday voters. They're just happy. Right. Trump's either Trump won or Trump lost. But in this midterm, it's awfully quiet on the social media. I see the people that's involved in the parties. You know, on the Republican side, there's extreme disappointment. On the Democrat side, they're happy. But all in all, it seems it's very quiet. People are not expressing um, if they're happy or not happy about the midterm election. And even when the party people post something on the Democrat side, and you look at the likes and the comments, very far few in between. So... You know, that kind of tells you a little bit of temperament of what everyday people. It almost like they're so numb to this anymore. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, yeah. do we have a record of how many people voted? Um, how many Republicans actually voted in person? According to Doug Mastriano's statement, 2.2, they, he got 2.2 million votes. But then we still right. don't have the I final tally. Um, of the final tally. So if you figure 3.5 million registered Republican in Pennsylvania, so 1.3 million did not come out to vote. And then there's 1.2 million registered independent. You know, I would love to see that data. I think the reason the Republicans lost where they lost, it came down to two things, messaging, which we went in great detail on our last show, but also the mail-in ballots. Now, There are two ways you can look at the mail-in ballots. You can say it's total fraud, and some people are looking at it that way. Or you can say that mail-in ballots have greatly increased voter turnout for the Democrats. If if people think back, all elections have been about voter turnout, voter turnout, how to get their people. And young people always supported Democrats, but they never went out and voted. So what the, the Democrats have done, if you just ignore the any fraud for a moment, is they've greatly increased their voter turnout. And Republicans need to do the same thing. I mean, you know, they need to, you know, in Pennsylvania or was Allegheny County, 14% of mail-in ballots were Republican. So, you know, there's a lot of people who didn't go to the polls. If somebody had presented them with a mail-in ballot, would have voted. Well, one of the things about the young people turnout um, is when Biden announced the forgiveness of the student debt, right? 10,000. Okay. But again, it is unconstitutional because it has to be passed by Congress. It doesn't matter. It didn't matter. So how many people are going to learn that afterwards and say, wait a second, I thought my debt's going to be forgiven, but the election is already over. How many young people voted because of it? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's like the three-year Mueller thing. It didn't matter in the end if he was found guilty or not guilty. The damage had been done. I mean, three years of all that negative press, boom, boom, boom. And we see it all the time. So, I mean, 
I, Republicans just really need to get shrewd. They need to get smart and unify and have a good strategy. And I think they need a voice to do that. You know, I mean, I, I, they don't, I don't think the Republicans have a voice right now. I mean, Trump is still a, a loose cannon. He's just out there doing what he wants to do. And, you know, he doesn't really seem to have a coordinated strategy. And, you know, I don't see him supporting the, the rest of the party. Yeah, he needs to be a little bit more disciplined with his um, himself. <laughs> what yeah. he says, definitely. Um, and also, um, you know, I so the I don't know if you see the footage um, this morning. President Joe Biden met with President Xi in Indonesia. Did you see the footage? I didn't see, but okay. So um, it, this is going to lead to. Um, our midterm election. So it's interesting because clearly they're meeting at a neutral ground, not in each other's country because, you know, this ego game. But <clears throat> what I saw is there was American flag and Chinese flag in the background. Xi Jinping was standing and our President Joe Biden walked towards him where President Xi is standing. This is very symbolic in Chinese culture, because if you're on an equal ground, both presidents should walk towards each other. That presents we are on an even equal ground. The fact that President Xi is standing, that's emperor gesture, right? I'm the emperor, I'm powerful, you come to me, I do not come to you. Um, and I think people American people really need to understand how much Chinese influence we have in this country that's for towards the media, influence in our media, in our journalism, in our government. I think a lot of people still can't understand that. Sure. And I think their, their um, influence comes down to money. Look at the NBA. You know, I mean, the NBA stands for social justice and all this, but they won't say anything negative about China because there's so much money that, that they're making in China. And they know the Chinese government will turn stuff off right away. Right. Do you remember there was a coach or assistant coach from Houston and made a comment yeah. about in free Hong Kong? So China right away said, we're going to turn off all the NBA games. And then yeah. that guy was fired. And... Yeah. um. And the NBA apologized to the to the Chinese for saying the truth. Yeah, and then they they turned the game back on, and then so as the um, the actor, I forgot he was a WWE John, wrestler. It happened with John Cena, the actor, former WWE guy. He actually had to speak in Chinese, horrible Chinese, to apologize for what he said. What's interesting to me is these are the actors and players that has no problem in you enjoying their freedom of speech privilege in United States, but criticizing our government as well. And then when they go to China as American, as this, you know, people worship their heroes here, right? The NBA stars mm -hmm. of the actors and actresses, the celebrities, and they're kowtowing to the Chinese government. So that's very telling <laughs> very very telling wow yeah 
I mean, that's very interesting. I doubt many Americans know that about, you know, coming together. Um, you know, and, you know, Biden, I mean, you know, he doesn't project strength. So. And um, and then they said, you know, even the news, everybody knows he's compromised. Mm -hmm. Right. So. Um, and then we're not building up our Navy ships. And I. I don't doubt, you know, she wanted the every president in China to have a 10 year term. Of course, Xi Jinping has longer than 10 years now. So every president as on their way out, they always wanted to achieve some kind some accomplishment that will make them legendary. You know, the Three Gorges Dam was built under the president. So there's got to be something. So Xi Jinping is determined to unify China and the only peace that China do not have right now is Taiwan. Mm -hmm. Now, Xi Jinping, I believe, is about 70 years old. So he's still very healthy. He's still very young and, uh, for you know, for a politician. And in China, you know, because he is the, essentially, he is the emperor of China. And he will get the best nutrition, best doctor, best care. So I feel like this is something he is determined to accomplish and nothing is going to get into his way. So, you know, we shall see what's gonna happen. And again, China is so coordinated, you know, the government, I mean, you know, they have, and, and part of it is that they, they have control. There's no counter, there's no counter in the media or the, but I mean, I think the message has to come back to the Republicans is understand, I mean, look at these things as like battles, as like war. and. You have to have a coordinated strategy and you have to have a message that resonates with the voters. And, um, you know, you and, and Republicans have always been at a disadvantage because of the media. So but we've been able to overcome that in the past. Well, the generation has changed, right? The, the yeah. thinking of each generation has changed now. I was uh, watching a segment on 60 Minutes and and I don't know what the who the guy is. So if you think about TikTok is from China. Mm -hmm. And so in China is a, a company called Baidu and they have their Chinese version of TikTok. And the way the Chinese version is, right, for 15 euro and under, they limit their TikTok to 45 minutes. And yeah. versus in United States, it's unlimited. I mean, I'm fighting with my child for the same. Well, he's not on TikTok, but he's on other yeah. platforms. And they prevent present different uh, content as well. They, they control the content they put in front of these kids. Yes, because in China, the content is uh, science experiments and history, very uh, academic things. And here, just like people dancing, making goofy videos. So they say, when you ask the Chinese kids, what do you want when you get when you grow up? The Chinese kid would say, I want to be an astronaut, lawyer, engineer. When you come to do the same survey in the United States, the 15-year-old say, I want to be social media influencer. <laughs> you know, just, and so yeah. the, it's not only the fentanyl is coming in, poisoning the young people. It's also from this type of influence poison our young people's brain. And so if you go through a couple generations of this, um, how are we going to compete? Right. Well, um, one other topic was the, um, you know, the big talk, Trump DeSantis, because Trump 
insulted DeSantis. He wrote a pretty long piece about, you know, taking credit for DeSantis. He's an average governor. He's not for me. I mean, Trump's always, you know, elevating Trump and insulting people even within the Republican Party. And I have, I, I, you know, I have to say that before 2016, I had decided I wasn't going to vote anymore because I always had conservative leanings. I mean, I'm not an you know orthodox conservative. I don't conform to conservatism. I look at each situation and what I believe to be true and what I believe to be the best solution comes out conservative. And when I after John McCain and Mitt Romney, they were the most frustrating campaigns for me because they never talked about what these conservative principles can do for the regular people. I always felt the working class are out there ready. You know, they share our values, uh, minorities, immigrants. And these guys are just talking pie in the sky principles without really talking to regular people. And I decided I, I don't think they're ever going to win because Democrats talk to people and Republicans don't. But uh, Trump changed all that for me. I mean, his defiance of the media was my first attraction to him. And, you know, just his pragmatic, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to fix things. And this is, you know, it, it brought me back to, to politics and, and, you know, the Republican Party. And I, you know, I supported him all the way through. But I have to be honest and say at this point, the Republican Party needs to be coordinated and strategic. And Trump is just a faction. He creates division. Um, he's not, as you said, disciplined. You know, it's just shoot from the hip, it seems. And it's always about elevating Trump. It's, his, it's like the celebrity of Trump gets in the way of the, you know, businessman and the politician to, you know, to be effective. You know, Newt Gingrich said that he had told Trump, if you eliminate 10% of Trump, this is when he was president, he told him, if you eliminate 10% of Trump, you will be 100% more effective. And that's so true. If he just became more, just more smarter about how he did things, more strategic. But, uh, you know, I mean, I, that's what I see in Ron DeSantis. And that's why, uh, you know, I'm sort of an advocate of we got to move away from the Trump era and towards the DeSantis era. Because, again, I, I think Trump's created DeSantis. He showed the way that we can defy the media and we can speak to regular people. So he gave us the kind of roadmap for conservatives. But DeSantis also has that shrewdness, that, that intelligence and strategic thinking, um, you know, to, to be more effective. I think Trump gave a lot of gave a spine to a lot of conservatives. You know, Ted Cruz, Mark Rubio. Um, you know, yeah. which I mean, I think that was a good point of him as he gave everybody a spine and and people learn how to fight with the media. And if he would have just stopped tweeting and picking up every single little fight, he made um, that Costa guy from CNN more famous than. It's necessary, right? If Trump didn't fight with him, ignore him. That is one thing Obama was really good at, right? Obama did not pick up every fight. He, if mm -hmm. there's criticism about him, he didn't even come into the, to do any the conferences. He laughed everything off and he moves on, do his thing. Now, he was really good at that. Um, I have to tell you, <clears throat> being now from this country, okay, I never liked Trump. My husband know about Trump. He's from, you know, my husband originally is from New York State. 
So he had all the Trump books. He's oh, it's Donald Trump. Like who the heck is this guy? I never liked him. And, and you mean even before he got into politics, you didn't like him as a celebrity. As a celebrity, I just thought that okay. um, for the lack of better words, he kind he's he is kind of an a hole, not very narcissistic. But I understand. <laughs> That was the way he's branding things. But everybody loved him. If he would have ran for president in his 40s, I bet you he, everybody would have voted for him regardless he's Republican, Democrat, because he had the charm and everything else. My The, the reason I, was I decided to vote for him in 2016 and a lot of the legal immigrant voted for him because he was the only pre person who was addressing how unfair... It is so for somebody to stay in line and wait for their visa to come to this country. And then you have the illegal immigrants to come here. So yeah. when, and, and I remember I was watching CNN at the time and they keep repeating this one thing he said, the Mexicans, they send the rape. And I'm thinking this guy, this can't be the only thing he said. So I went into YouTube, found his full speech. Once I found his full speech, and because how skew the media was skewing his words, that attracted me to say, okay, I'm going to just, um, I'm going to stop listening to the news. I'm going to look up his full speeches. And that, and, and every speech he mentioned the border, the everything he said about the problem of the United States, um, I think a lot of legal immigrants like me, agreed so he had the most asian voter for him the most latino voter for him the most african-american voter for him and i think at the time the media thought he was a joke and because the ratings they would broadcast every single time he make a speech they'll broadcast a full speech and by 2020 the media understand that was a big mistake so a lot of major news right. networks stopped broadcasting his rallies and his speeches and so the media made him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he used the media for about the first three years of his um, presidency. The campaign, I mean, he played the media like a fiddle, but I believe in the end they they, they won out. They they adapted, and I think they beat Trump. They beat Trump. But but mm -hmm. I the one of the problems, too, I think he was a little bit more humble when he was running because he was never a politician. But I think every rally, his ego grew bigger and bigger. And the this whole um, this whole notion of let Trump be Trump, I think, got into his head because once you went from a candidate to a president, you can no longer be Trump because now you have to be America. Now on the world stage, I think he was fantastic, right? Because um, he has a very strong personality, and a lot of people say he's a bully. But if you look at who we de who we're dealing with, we're dealing with bullies. There's bullies all over the world. Oh, absolutely. So, so thank God we had a bully. Yeah. Is it possible to bully a bully? You know, I mean, when the media called him a bully, I'm like, you're the biggest bully on the block. But but the media does not bull. You know, call toe to China. Trump just didn't care, right? He can face the most meanest, the toughest leader in the world, he's like, well, I'm, I'm the president of the United States. I'm better than, and he exuberant, that comes out, um, his confidence and his representing of United States, this is the strongest nation in the world. 
that comes across. So、yeah. the world leader respected him. Yeah, I agree. The problem in United States is you you talk about different parties or their echo chambers within United States itself. United States citizens are echo chambers. I think this is the country where people are the least worldly. The they just very consumed with themselves. That's because our education system. When you go to China, any other country, you're not being educated. Just say, "Here's your little world." We are being educated from the very young age to understand there's a big world out there. Okay,、um, mm-hmm. I remember in Hong Kong at sixth grade, we were taught basic economics. What is macroeconomic? What's microeconomic? What's capitalism? What's socialism? What's market economy?、Uh, pros and cons. That was my sixth grade social study. It's not happening here. So by the time you get into seventh grade, you understand supply, demand. You know what it's like to run a business, and the world. There's a whole world out there. Who's who? Who's United States? Who's Eastern Europe? That's not happening here. I there's a deep education fraud that we have in this country that's causing the our voters to think the way they do. Yeah, where China's coordinatedly tra- making their students more intelligent, more prepared to compete, to do well. You know, here it seems like we have a you know left wing activism more permeating. You know the schools, and it's about your emotional well-being and your feelings and other people and things like that. And I mean, you know, so if there's a competition on the world stage, you know, Chinese kids are going to win. You know, they're being made stronger and smarter and better equipped. And you know, I I, I just don't see that happening in our schools. I hope it is to some extent, but I don't see it. You you saw I sent you a video of all the kids in circles with two、yeah. hands. That's boys and girls, right? And then there was another video I posted on my social media was to teach a young girl how to defend herself.、Mm-hmm. And they told the boy to hit her and hit her hard. She was almost in tears, <laughs> but she retaliated hard, right?、Mm-hmm. But there. China is not teaching kids pronouns. They're teaching kids、yeah. math. There's a competition. Be tough and be hard. I agree, and you know I'm not advocating teach kids to fight each other. But I mean, I in our local school, I went to a town hall in the and and in the auditorium, I noticed there were no valedictorians for the last couple of years, and I had asked someone, and they said that the school administration board made a decision to no longer have valedictorians, and in fact, they don't even rank students anymore. So that to me is like a prime example. How is that helpful? I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm just speculating that they think, oh, well, this is emotionally, they, it's too much stress, and we can't, you know, tell one kid they're better than another. But I mean, you know, it's 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 making them weak. I mean, you know, there it, life is a competition. I mean, when you go on the job, and you know, when you interact with other companies, I mean, you have to be strong and you have to be equipped to compete. Yeah.、Um, th- th- so in China, the way it do- you know, with as far as valedictorian concern, I can tell you, every class has forty five students because it's such a big country. Okay, it starts from elementary school, 
every test we get. So um, the teacher at the head of the class will announce. Sometimes we spend a whole class for people to come and get their papers, right? She will announce. She said she would say, "Oh, Bob." The top student for this test today is Bob. So you get up, very proud of yourself, to get your paper. And the next, the next, very next one, well, the one score the least is like just say Sherry. Then I have to get out of my desk. The walk of shame. Walk the shame to pick up my paper. Okay. So, but what that does is to create this competition. And so, if you're starting this from first grade, number one. We got used to how to deal with failure and embarrassment. So yes, I might score less this time, but I don't want to do that walk of shame ever again. So I'm going to study harder for the next one. And didn't you also tell me that they have different schools or different classes, so that better performing kids were all grouped together? You know, so there were. So in other words, if a kid's constantly at the the last in line on all the assignments, he would probably move to another group of kids where he could, you know, rank a little higher and improve. The way it does,、um, this is in Hong Kong and China the same way. It's they go. It starts from first grade. It's A B C D E class. Those are five classes. Okay, so every six months you get test, you get a big test, and then you. If I'm in the E, so for example, I. We we migrated to Hong Kong when I was going to fifth grade, but、um, so you take an entry level test to the school because I did not understand Cantonese, so I was not able to take any of my tests. I scored great in、uh, math, I scored great in English, but I couldn't follow the instruction, and I I I learned no English, and my English paper was zero. So even though my Chinese writing and and the China you simplified Chinese and、um, Hong Kong was traditional Chinese. Okay, so I had a hard time with that. I did the, but I was great with math. But because of it, I was moved to the E class. So and that's the bottom at the very bottom. Okay, and then so my goal, my because I was a good student in China, I. I was very terrified and feel ashamed the fact that I was in the bottom of the class. So I really took six months study traditional writing English, and within six months I got into the A class. Now the A class they do it's it's more challenging questions. So they do based on A B C go, go give you more difficult assignments, and then the sixth grade when you graduate elementary school the whole. Hong Kong, you you go to other school to take a test, and then you get assigned to、um, middle school, but not based on where you live, but based on your score.、Mm-hmm. So A student go to A school, B student, and then within that school, they continue to segregate. Se- not segregate is a terrible word, but they continue to group kids based on their score.、Right. Okay.、Um, So some kids have to take like hour bus just to get to my school, and I had to take about half hour. And some people live closer to the school, but it didn't matter where you live, where your economic status is, whether you're immigrant from China or you lived in Hong Kong, you live in government housing. It's all based on merit.、Mm-hmm. And I thought that was the fairest way. 
It, it reminds me of the English Premier League of soccer. The Premier League is like the highest level. And at the end of the season, the bottom three or four teams drop. They get relegated. They go to the lower tier. And the top three or four of the lower tier get promoted. And they have multiple levels. Um, so, you know, if you think about it as a, as a metaphor, you know, with soccer, I mean, rather than have your team at the bottom all the time, by dropping down, they get more competitive and it gives them a chance to get better and improve and then move back up. So, you know, I mean, I think that I, I like competition. I like challenging and, uh, you know, especially with kids. And another thing is kids really have to learn to deal with hardship. That's one thing that I think American kids are lacking and contributes to the mental health issues and things like that is, you know, they don't know how to handle hardship. And if they don't do it when they're young, it's much harder to learn when you're older. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I came to United States for 12th grade um, and I couldn't believe when I went to the math class, they were teaching stuff we learned in seventh and eighth grade, number one. Number two, the day before the quiz, the teacher will give you the, the correct question and then the answer. So in my head, in the way we do in Hong Kong, you review your test, but the next day you get complete set of different questions and much harder. Okay. I was, I was flabbergasted when the very, my very first math test, I looked at the question, it's exactly what we reviewed and the answer was already given and still kids failed. <laughs> I thought to myself, how do you fail in the test? That's, you already know the answer the day before. Um, so, you know, I remember in Hong Kong, one of my teacher always said, a flower grow up in a greenhouse can never sustain the storm. So you don't want to be flower in the greenhouse. You rather be a little weed, you know, on the ground because you can sustain right. the storm. You can survive. So survival is very important for Chinese people in general. But one of the things I think that what China experienced America didn't is the culture revolution. The carnage of 10 years of culture revolution. It's deeply rooted in the Chinese history. And, you know, even though they're not publicly teaching that, but, you know, we know what happened. So the people experienced the Chinese culture revolution do not want that ever happen again. And I'm trying to tell this one young kid that we know, I said, look, in China, the government is communism. You do not have freedom of speech. You do not have a lot of freedom, but the economy, it's capitalistic. It's probably more capitalistic than here. China do not have a lot of social program. If you retired with no money, you're going to live a very poor life. If you don't can't get, if you don't have a job, there's no employment. A lot of people work two, three jobs to make ends meet. So there's so if you look at the economy, it's very capitalistic. Now here in America, there's a lot of social program to help people. Um, China spends her money in defense right now in their space program, in education, but the education is tough and hard and they don't care if the kids feel humiliated or they feel embarrassed. Um, mm -hmm. But that's how they train the minds to be tough and to be strong. We have the complete opposite here. So we have a democratic government, but a socialistic system. In China, you have a communism government, but a capitalistic economy 
and an extremely right. police state, right? So law and order, very strong. Um, people are tough. Xi Jinping believes the way the chi the way Chinese government operates is the way for the world. Okay, so he want to he want to spread just like America was spreading the what the Americanism to the world. Now Xi Jinping mm -hmm. wanted to do the opposite. Yeah, and now we're ashamed of Americanism. We're bad, and you know our history is all slavery. So yeah, we're just gonna let. Let China take it. I think we're probably <laughs> there, right? I mean, we are. Yeah. They're buying the farmland. They're they're making our goods. Um, yeah. So, but I think there is a resilience in United States in the DNA of United States. Maybe mm -hmm. two more years of hardship. It's good for the United States. It's good for oh. our soul. Yeah, I mean, there is that saying, right? Uh, you know. Um, Good times make soft men. Soft men make hard times, and hard times make strong men. So you know, it's it's definitely cyclical. So it's pretty sad. It's a pretty sad narrative when you when I have to say that my hope for the long term future of the United States is that we go through some really bad hardship. But that's what happened with the United States when the Great Depression happened, World War II happened, yeah. and you and those generation come and really presented themselves. And then that's when I was talking to this one guy yesterday. He's my age. We're the Generation X, okay? So we're saying the Millennials and Gen Z, but our kids now are Alpha, right? The Generation Alpha. And so as your grandchildren. Okay. So I think the Alphas are going to be the stronger people because Generation X seeing millennials and Gen Z, now we're make we're treating our kids harder. And if you talk to a lot of yeah. parents, they are giving themselves they are a little bit tougher on their children now than the previous generations. My my daughter's style of parenting is very different from mine and it is she's tough on the kids. You know, and I mean she doesn't baby them. I mean she lets them lets them handle whatever disappointment pain they're having. Yeah. Very that, different. Yeah, very different. That's, you know, we, we make our son work. We pay him and he negotiates salary with us. We, you know, mm -hmm. you have to do it because otherwise you're not doing your children any favor. Right. You know, we're looking at a, like next 10 years, we're looking at America to be in a downward, downward going. So, I expect them not having good jobs out there. They have to pay. We know they have to pay our debt back. So right. they better be tough. <laughs> okay. Um, summary. Uh, I mean, closing. So we went from the election, the midterms, talking about Republicans to, you know, the difference in culture and things with uh, China. I, I wonder, I mean, I think there's a lot of room for, politicians, Republicans, to really talk about these issues, especially on the local level. I think you said a lot of the Chinese immigrant community locally, and I know, you know, that probably fits all over the country. They care about education. They want their kids to be challenged and to do better. And, you know, that to me is a big opportunity for politicians because it seems like the only time we ever talk about school, it's whether we're going to give them more money or not. You're pro-teacher, anti-teacher. There, there, there's no constructive, 
you know, policy discussions about how to make things better. The focus is not on students. So if you look at the foundation of a society, it's your youth. It doesn't matter what the adult, it matters what the adults do in here, but we have to education our youth. That is the foundation of our society. Yeah. If the root is rotted, then we're not going to have a, you know, the house going to collapse and we're not taking care of our youth. And, and I think the fundamental, it's always going back to education, right? If you think about the gen, gen Z's and the millennials, it goes, again, goes back to education, whether it's college, elementary school. So if you look at the progressive agenda right now, it's to, the division happened now on the very ground is education, the, the, the gender studies and the social justice, the equities, and that's what parents are fighting. So maybe the parents are going to be the one change everything. Hopefully our politician listen to us, whether whoever gets elected, you know, you would hope they're representing the people. They're representing the will of the people. So I think right now it takes the parents, regardless of what party you're from, regardless of what race, the parents want their kids to have the best future possible, to be prepared the best possible. Are we doing that? So I think we have to go back to education. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, I don't think anyone's asking that question, you know, that you just said, ask, are we, teach, are we teaching our kids? Are we, you know, making them competitive and, and educating them in the best way possible? Unfortunately, I don't think anyone's asking that question. At least I don't hear it. Well, education was not even on the top of the um, concern for this election is inflation. Yeah. On, on the Republican side, inflation is, um, you know, energy independence. Right. On the Democrat side is abortion and the fate of the yeah, democracy. Yes. No one talks about the education. <laughs> I right. think except for the, for the probably immigrants and the Asian people. <laughs> or, yeah, immigrants. I'm sure immigrants all talk about that. So, um, Pretty soon, we're not going to have to worry about a border crisis. We'll be going to other borders. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they won't want to come back. They'll get here and say, no, why am I here? I got to leave. Yeah, I got to go back. So, um, well, this, I think this has been great. You know, it's great to see. Yeah. Yeah. I really especially appreciate your perspective. I mean, it's, it's you know, uh, America has always been inwardly focused. We don't have as a lot of awareness of you know, different cultures in different countries. So I think it's really helpful and I really appreciate you bringing that. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And I think that's because the Chinese culture for 5,000 years, we were inwardly focused and look where it got us, right? It got yeah. us to cultural revolution. It got us to all the invasions from other country. And I think one of the, um, one of the brilliant thing about Xi Jinping, regardless whether you think he's a dictator or not, he is, from Deng Xiaoping all the way down to Xi Jinping, they are redirecting the Chinese policy to be more outward focused. They're not invading country by force, they're invading country by money. Um, so they pretty much have the whole continent of Africa and they learned the American system very well and they know how to navigate it. Um, just real quick, recently there was an interview with um, Ryan Reynolds because he has a new show coming up on Jimmy Fallon 
and they were talking about him want to buy the Ottawa Senator is a hockey team,、mm-hmm. and he、yeah. made a comment. He said, "Well, you know, buying an Ottawa, buying a hockey team, you need deep pockets,、uh, but I can, but it's easier to buy a U.S. Senator than Ottawa." <laughs> That's really good. It's true too.、Mm-hmm. So, what does that tell you? Yeah. All right. Well, on that note, hey, thanks everybody for listening, and、uh, talk to you next week. Yeah, please hit the subscribe button and then leave us comments so we can. If any topic you want to discuss, leave us a comment, and we want to hear from you. And、um, we're on a couple podcasts now, right, Bob? Yeah,、um, I know we're on iHeartRadio and Spotify,、um, a couple others. I haven't seen us on Google Podcasts or Apple yet. I have to verify that that all works. So it's, it's is it under conversation with Bob and Sherry?、Uh, yes, I actually titled it mostly politics colon conversations with Bob and Sherry. Okay. Thank you. So yeah, if you look for conversations with Bob and Sherry or mostly pol- politics conversations, you'll find it. Okay. Thank you, everybody. We'll see you next week.